Well, these are strange times that we're living in. Some would believe that up is down and left is right. Lies are believed while truth is ignored and sin is openly celebrated while righteousness is mocked and condemned. These are strange times, especially in our young country's history. For hundreds of years now, our society has been largely shaped and influenced by the Christian ethic. Being a Christian, even a nominal Christian, was the norm for some time in America. If you were going to fit in society, well, then you'd be better off calling yourself a Christian. If you were to be successful as a businessman, you'd be more successful if you went to church. But today, if you want to fit in with society, well, then you'd best not call yourself a Christian, let alone live according to the Christian ethic. Indeed, these are strange times compared to the previous generations in America. But we need to know this. These are strange times perhaps in recent history for us, but these are not strange times if you take a view at the grand sweep of history. Remember the godlessness of the days of Noah. Remember the godlessness of the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the godlessness when Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Remember even the godlessness of Israel herself when she crucified the Son of God. You might think these are strange times, but repeatedly throughout history and in the scriptures, you see that, that these times are not so strange after all. Peter's writing to Christians who are facing similar difficulties to us, even in our own day. Peter now in this point of his letter, he's drawing near to the end and, and he begins to wrap up this letter by writing these words. Verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Many in our day and age are surprised by the fiery trials that we're experiencing. But Peter today, he calls us, just as he did to his first readers in the first century, not to be surprised by the various sufferings that we might experience. Some interpreters have taken these fiery trials to mean that Christians are being put to death some even think that Peter's alluding to the times when Nero would use Christians as torches to light up his garden. But there's no textual evidence for this interpretation. Most commentaries agree that the kind of suffering that Peter's actually mostly addressing throughout this letter is, is slander, insults. You see it in, in just a little bit after in this verse here, in verse 14, just after the text we just read. If you are insulted, he says, for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Certainly we know something about being insulted today for Christ's sake. And just previously in the chapter as well, he said this in verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when, they do not, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So if you are a Christian, know this, you're going to suffer. You're going to be maligned. You're going to be insulted. Three examples that we might experience even in our own day of this kind of suffering might be when we are excluded from activities with our friends and neighbors because of our openness regarding our faith. And so people don't want to have anything to do with us, perhaps. Perhaps you've been called out and slandered in work because of your view of so-called same-sex marriage. Maybe even you've experienced 
this from your family around the Thanksgiving dinner when relatives openly mock you for the faith. These are real situations that some of us have experienced. Maybe you've experienced it in the past week. Others too will likely experience these kinds of sufferings in the week ahead. And so to this end, Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. And so brothers and sisters, recognize this. You will suffer for Christ. Now, most of us are rightly cautious when we go to buy a car. We, we know that used car salesmen have all kinds of tactics to try to, to make us buy whatever car they have in their lot. In fact, every car in their lot is the perfect car for us, including the one that is leaking oil right there on the pavement. But it's sad to say that many preachers are not too different from used car salesmen today. Many preachers will tell you about all the benefits of following Jesus here in this life. They, they promise you a better life here on earth if you would follow Jesus. Health, wealth, and happiness. But if you believe even the most modest form of the prosperity gospel, then you need to hear loud and clear what Peter is saying. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I might illustrate it like this. There are warning labels now on everything, especially if you're in California. But many of you will remember that not too long ago, cigarettes were advertised as the symbol of masculinity and beauty. But what those advertisements failed to inform people of was the risks that came with smoking. So now, cigarettes cannot be sold anywhere without having clear labels of the risks that that are associated with the cigarettes that are sold in those packages. Well, here's the point. Peter does not want us to be unaware of the risks that might be associated with identifying with Christ. So following Jesus has huge warning labels on this activity. Following Jesus will lead to suffering. That's why Peter is urging us not to be surprised at these trials. It's not strange. It's not unusual. You should expect it. And it's not just Peter who says this. Listen to John. He said this, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Not just John, but Paul as well said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And it wasn't just the apostles. Jesus taught the disciples this very thing. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Over and over and over again, the scriptures give us this warning of, of the suffering that we will experience if we identify with Christ. So don't let anyone fool you into believing that the Christian life here and now is going to be better than it was before. If anything, it's likely to get harder. Jesus, he didn't bait and switch his disciples. At one point in his ministry, crowds were flocking to him in order to follow him. And listen to what he told them. This is a terrible way to have a church growth movement, a terrible thing to teach if what you want is to draw crowds. Luke 14, 25 and 26, he said, these crowds are coming to him and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
He cannot be my disciple. Jesus calls us to hate our family and even our own life, which is strange if you know that he also calls us to love one another. Why would a person hate his family, let alone his life? Well, it's because if you decide to follow Jesus, your family might be destroyed. And not just your family, but it might even cost you your your life. Jesus said in Matthew 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Understand, it is difficult to be a Christian in America. And it's not difficult because of the persecution being so unbearable. It's difficult because we have it so good. Many of us have pursued the American dream, and not only that, but most of us are living the American dream now. We love our lives. And so it's no wonder why the prosperity gospel has become so popular. But you should know that being a Christian is not a promise for prosperity here and now. Friends, if we are followers of Jesus, if we are truly his disciples, we follow him in the way that he lived, and we also follow him in the way that he suffered. Listen to Jesus' teaching again in Matthew 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? That's us, brothers and sisters. Jesus was maligned, so we should not expect to escape slander either. You should expect to be called ignorant. You should expect to be called a bigot. You should expect to be called a homophobic. You may be called a sheep, but understand, it would be better to be called a sheep who knows the voice of Jesus than to be the goat who Christ does not know. Jesus not only told us that, he, that we would suffer, he not only predicted our suffering, but he even calls us to suffer with him. Matthew 16, 24, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oftentimes we sing and talk of the beauty of the cross. And the cross is certainly beautiful because there at the cross was the place where God's love is most clearly put on display. There where Jesus died for us, taking on himself the wrath of God that we deserve. The cross is most beautiful. But Jesus' death on the cross does not mean that we will not suffer here on earth. When Jesus calls us to take up our cross, he's calling us to suffer. We don't immediately understand what Jesus is saying here because the cross in many ways has become so sentimental to us. We use it as jewelry, as bumper stickers and tattoos. So maybe it might help us this morning to compare the cross to a firing squad or the electric chair or a guillotine. Yet all of these pale to express the suffering that he's calling us to when he calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Understand what the cross was. The cross was the cruelest form of suffering that a criminal would, 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 would receive. Of course, the cross was intended to kill, but it was not intended to be humane. 
There was no compassion in the cross. Death on the cross was to be a slow and excruciating death. And if the pain of crucifixion wasn't enough, the cross also served to humiliate those who were crucified. It was to be done out in public. And those who were crucified would be stripped down. And so when Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him, he is calling us to associate with him in his death. Bonhoeffer was famous for having said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's not strange to suffer for Christ. I don't know why we count it strange today. What should be strange to us in light of what all the scriptures say is that we should have a a life of ease. That's what's strange. Jesus said, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Yes, if the world hate loves you, excuse me, then you have good reason to, to be cautious about the way you're living. If the world loves you, then you need to understand what James said. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so, brothers and sisters, do not be surprised the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange are happening. It's crucial that we do not confuse what is to be our experience in heaven with what our experience is going to be like here on earth. It is heaven, not earth, that is the place of paradise. It is heaven that is to be the place where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where death shall be no more, where there shall be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the former things then will have passed away. But here on earth below, while our exile remains, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But you might be here and think, well, why should we expect suffering? Why should we think on this? Shouldn't we rather not be anxious about tomorrow, but take each day as each day comes? Well, to this end, yes, we are not to be anxious about tomorrow's troubles, but we ought to maintain that we are not altogether ignorant of of what it means to follow Jesus. To this end, we do so so that we might persevere in the faith. I'm reminded of that scene in The Pilgrim's Progress. For those who don't know, this is John Bunyan's allegory of the Christian life. There's a scene in The Pilgrim's Progress shortly after the main character named Christian leaves from that old way of life with his companion pliable. They, they leave and they fall right into the slew of despond. Do you remember that scene? Let me read a little excerpt of what pliable, his companion, said. There in the the slew of despond, Pliable began to be offended and angrily to his fellow. Is this the happiness that you have told me all about? If we shall have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect twixt this and our journey's end? May I get out again with my life? You You shall possess the brave country alone for me. And with that, he gave a desperate struggle or two and got out of the mire on the side of the slough, which was next to his own house. So away he went, and Christian saw him 
no more. Such is the experience of those who do not count the costs of following Jesus. You will start off well, but you will not finish well. You remember that seed that was sown among the rocky ground? Jesus said, as for that which was sown among the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. That's what the gospel does. We receive the word with joy, but he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is why we need to, to know and, and anticipate that there are going to be times of suffering and persecution in the future. If you are surprised by the fiery trials when they come your way, then chances are you will not endure to the end. As the discouragements of suffering come and tempt you, you will, you will long to go back to the way of, of life that was easy and comfortable. So brothers and sisters, recognize that you will suffer for Christ. But it is not enough for us to simply expect suffering this morning. Look again at our text. Starting in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So you can count on, on suffering in this life. But when the sorrows of suffering come your way, there is going to be mixed with sorrows great rejoicing. So expect to suffer, and when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you, rejoice when you suffer for Christ. Now this might seem paradoxical at first, especially to those who have no faith in Jesus Christ and no hope beyond this life. It might be strange to think that we are to, to rejoice when we are, are suffering. But for those who believe in Jesus, Peter gives us wonderful reasons for why we can rejoice even in the midst of of our suffering. And Peter, he's not being poetical. There's no figure of, of speech or exaggeration when he calls us to rejoice. Remember even Peter and the other apostles, after they had been beaten for the sake of the gospel, Luke records that, that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the, the, for the suffer dishonor, excuse me, for the name. Well, may the Lord give us such faith like the apostles that we too might rejoice to suffer dishonor for Christ. But how do we do this? How does this actually work? Why would anyone suffer in the midst, or excuse me, rejoice in the midst of suffering? Well, well Peter has already answered this question earlier from a different angle. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, he said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we saw back when we started this, this series in 1 Peter, five reasons for why we can rejoice in suffering. But now Peter comes at this same topic of rejoicing in suffering, though he comes to it from a different angle. And there's two particular reasons why we can rejoice when we suffer. First, consider the reason in verse 13. He says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Notice here in this verse, there are two different points of rejoicing. 
There's the rejoicing that happens here and now on earth in the midst of suffering. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. So, so that's the, the joy that we have now, though this joy is mixed with tears. But then what follows is the purpose for our suffering and the reason for our rejoicing. He says that we, we rejoice insofar as we share in Christ's suffering, that we may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here Peter is showing us there is a direct connection between our suffering here on earth with our sharing in the glory that is to be revealed when Christ returns. There's a direct link between, between our suffering with Christ and are being glorified with Christ. Listen, not just to, to how Peter says it. We see the same connection made by Paul on two different accounts. Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And again in 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So our joy and suffering now is directly linked to the future joy that we are going to have when Christ's glory is revealed. You might compare this joy even in suffering with that of, of labor pains. Any mom here in the room knows what joy I'm talking about. There before that baby comes, there's excruciating pain. But there are tears of joy there in the midst of tears of, of pain. Why? Because that baby's going to be in your arms soon. Suffering for Christ is a reminder to us that Christ is almost here. And so in light of this, persevere. Keep running the race. Keep fighting the good fight and do not abandon the faith. And furthermore, Peter shows us that our suffering is also an indication that you have the spirit of glory. Listen to how Peter says it in verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now it would be easy in times of suffering and persecution to, to draw the wrong conclusion. It would be easy to think that the reason we're suffering is because God has abandoned you. David felt this way when he wrote Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? He continues in verse six. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek, see me mock me. They make mouths at me and wag their heads. And this is what they say when they mock David. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Isn't this what people would say of us when they mock us for the faith? 
It's easy to think like David in the midst of persecution that, that God has abandoned us, that we have been forsaken. But in those times, do not believe the lie. Don't confuse the blessing of suffering for Christ with the curse of God forsaking you. Peter shows us that when we suffer, when we are insulted for the name of Christ, we are blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. When you suffer for the name, you suffer because people sense that the spirit of God rests upon you. This is truly amazing that we would have such a nearness and closeness to God that even the wicked are able to perceive this aroma of Christ and hate us for it. Jesus taught us that if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Understand this, if you have the aroma of Christ on you, it is because the Spirit of God rests upon you. And to this end, the world will hate you. But also know this, that if you have the aroma of Christ about you, the Spirit of God resting upon you, then the Lord is pleased with you no matter who is against you. So rejoice when you suffer insult for the name of Christ. You are suffering, your suffering, excuse me, is an indication that you will join Christ in glory. But even in our suffering here and now, it is an indication to us that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. But before you leave this morning, and face the various trials that, that are coming our way in the coming week, one last point needs to be clarified. Look again at our text starting in verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Before we rejoice in all our suffering, we must recognize when we are suffering for sin. We need to see the difference between punishment for sin and persecution for Christ. And there is a huge difference, though on the surface they may look similar. The previous point can be summed up as not confusing blessing for curses. But here at this point, we must not confuse curses for blessings. Suffering for sin is not the same as suffering for Christ. Suffering for Christ is persecution. And the end of this is eternal life and a great reward. But suffering punishment for sin is not persecution. It is justice. It is what we deserve. And in the end, Sin will lead to death. Peter in our text gives us four sins, each with their own consequences that might be associated with it. Look again at our text in verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Consider the first sin listed, that of murder. This is not just a sin against God, but it's a recognized crime even in godless societies. And the payment for murder is death. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of a man, 
By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. You remember what the Roman cross was for. It was intended for the worst criminals. And so if you were to suffer as a murderer there in the first century in Rome, chances were good that you would be crucified. But being killed on account of murder is not the same as taking up your cross and following Jesus. Though the suffering might look similar on the outside, know that the death on the cross as a murderer has no reward. And this is not what Jesus suffered either. Though Jesus suffered a criminal's death there on the cross, he was without sin. He was not a murderer. He was not a thief. He was not an evildoer, let alone a meddler. Those who suffer as a murderer will get what they are due. The list continues after that. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. A thief, of course, is not as serious of an offense as a murderer, but still it would be a criminal activity. And then after that comes that of an evildoer. But we should understand that, that that evildoer here is probably not criminal as it's translated in, in the NIV. This evildoer might be a person who, who gossips, who slanders, a person who lies, a person who doesn't honor their father and mother. You're not a criminal if you're an evildoer, at least not in society, but, but you are a sinner nonetheless. But now consider the last sin in this list. Peter tells us not to suffer as a meddler. Now, I think this word meddler is perhaps the most interesting word in this list that he has provided. For one, this word is found nowhere else in the New Testament, and it's not even found anywhere in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The word meddler here refers to a person who is caught up in the affairs of other people. A meddler is a a busy body. Now, a meddler is far from being a criminal, excuse me, But being a meddler is sure to annoy everyone around you. This may well lead you to being shunned by others. If you are a meddler, even your own family might not want to spend time with you. So to this end, what's the point? What's the point of of this list? Brothers and sisters, we are called to suffer. But we are not called to suffer for sin. We are called to holiness. And so to that end, let us suffer for righteousness' sake. Let's be honest, we can be downright nasty, even as Christians. We can be quick to even play off our sufferings that we even deserve because of our own sin. And we can play the the martyr card all we want, but more often than not, our suffering is well-deserved because of our sin. I'll admit even most of the criticism that I receive is criticism that I deserve to one degree or another. And over the years, I've received some wise counsel. Just recently, I've received this counsel. So I'll pass it along to you. If you are accused of something and if you receive criticism, take some time. Look at yourself. See if there's a, a kernel of truth to what's being said about you. Don't go and play the victim. Don't play the martyr. Examine yourself and see if there's even a hint of sin. And if you see a hint of sin, own it. Take responsibility for your faults and repent. 
This applies to all kinds of angles in our life, but let me, let me apply this to my fellow Calvinists. As fellow Calvinists, one man to another, especially us men who, who love to talk about theology, we are often clanging symbols when we talk about our beloved doctrine. Oh, we love the truth. We love the scriptures. We love to argue, but we often fail to love our fellow Christians especially when we do not see eye to eye. Listen, if someone doesn't want to talk to you about theology, it might not be persecution. You might just be rude. So don't count it as persecution if you do not love your neighbor when you talk about Christ. I love the story of Paul before Agrippa. He was the most winsome man in his argument before Agrippa. And Agrippa could tell he was trying to make him a Christian with him. But Paul was not a clanging symbol. And so too, we should not be clanging symbols either when we share the faith. Now to all of us who are here, not just the Calvinists, but to all of us who bear the name of of Christ, you should assess why you might be suffering at the hands of other people this morning. If someone speaks evil of you, don't indulge in and reviling in return, but instead be slow to speak, quick to hear, hear out your critic, and, and look for the kernel of truth in their criticism of you. And you might see in yourself something that you did not see before. If you see that you are suffering because of sin, be it the extreme of murder, or even that of being a meddler, and do not rejoice But instead, repent. Repent of your sins. First, repent to the Lord and ask that he would cleanse you and forgive you of your sins. And then also, go to the one who you have sinned against and ask them to forgive you. So Peter says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer or meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So what should we make of this this morning? If you wish to avoid suffering in this life, if you want a life of comfort and ease, take my advice. Don't be a murderer. Don't be a thief. Don't be an evildoer. Don't be a meddler. But even beyond this, if you want to enjoy life here and now, you best not even follow Jesus. But I wouldn't advise any of us to do that this morning. So don't take my advice there. Because if you do, then you will be sure that you will suffer. Maybe not here and now, but you will suffer in the end far worse than if you suffered the worst suffering here on earth. Remember how Jesus taught us. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Speaking of our life here on earth, here and now. If you think you have found your life and you want to do everything you can do to preserve it, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You may be hated by men and you might wish to try to avoid such treatment. And so if you want to avoid persecution, you will need to jump through every hoop that you can to try to please every person But to do so, you're going to have to deny Jesus. 
and remain in your sins. And if you remain in your sin, then you will remain an enemy of God. Don't do that this morning, brothers and sisters. He died. Jesus died so that we would not suffer the wrath of God. He died so that we might have eternal life in Him. And this life is received by believing in Him and following Him in His life and even in His death. So if you are to suffer from the wrath of men or the wrath of God, oh, it would be far better to serve, suffer excuse me, from the wrath of men than the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God will destroy not just your body, but even your soul for all eternity in hell. And if you were to choose between being loved by fickle men or being loved by our faithful Redeemer, it would be better to be loved by our Creator who will never, ever forsake us. And so, Christian, you will be hated by the world, but the reproach of Christ is far greater wealth than all the treasures that the world can offer. And so, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Let me pray for you. Father, we are in need of so much help if we are to persevere to the end. We need you to help our weak faith so that we might not fear men. And so I do pray that you would give us faith and courage and strength to face the troubles for each day. Help us to not be anxious about what tomorrow might hold, but Lord, at the same time, help us to be well-informed about what we might face so that when these trials come our way, we would not be surprised, but instead, Lord, Give us the faith to rejoice that we're counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And as we do, Lord, may we be an aroma that is pleasing to you, a sacrifice that is acceptable to you. Be glorified in our life. Keep us from sin, Lord. Help us to not suffer for sin, but instead, Lord, help us to suffer for your name's sake. And to that end, be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.